last week, we got to talk about one of the greatest things. Paul told us to take great comfort in the rapture. This week, it's like 180 degrees the other way. I wanted to show you the difference between the rapture and the second coming of Christ. If you have your Bibles or your, your phones or devices, whatever you want to look it up, go ahead and pull up to Revelation 5. I'm going to be in NLT, which I don't normally do that, but it reads so easy and there's so much here and it's so deep. I think it's, it's better sometimes to read it as easy as you possibly can. Let's just go to the Lord and an opening word of prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning in praise and in thanksgiving. Sacred is your name. Holy is your name. Hallowed is your name. Father, you give us these deep truths. This is a tough sermon today. Holy Spirit, you're in our hearts. You're in this room. Part of your ministry is to illuminate the word. Show us what we need to know. Let us see. Prick our hearts. Convict us to make application where application is needed in our own lives. Father, just again, thank you for this day. Thank you for this little church. Thank you for this opportunity to share your word. May we be a blessing and be blessed. We pray these things now in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. All right, just want to start with this timeline. We're living, the blue line was the rapture. That's where we were last week. We got raptured last week, by the way. No, I'm kidding. But we live in the present church age. It's on the left side of that blue line. What we're talking about today is on the far right over here, the red line. A lot of stuff happens between the blue line and the red line. Um, we're told, it's, well, I'll get it to it in a second, but there's a verse, a couple, couple of verses in Daniel I want to look at before we get into it. But the first three and a half years after the rapture is part of the tribulation. Jesus called it the beginning of sorrows, but then it gets worse. The second three and a half years is the great tribulation. Let's just look here. Um... There's about 8 billion people on the earth, or there will be very soon. But for easy math, I just rounded it off to 8 billion. I believe there'll be about a 1.5 billion raptured. Um, if you Google that, it's about double that, they're saying, Christians around the world. But we know better. We know a lot of people play church. A lot of people say they're members and they don't, they don't have a relationship with Christ at all. Not at all. Those people I worry about. So, but I would say genuine Christians that are actually looking for the rapture, looking for the second coming, there's about maybe a little less than 1.5 billion. But, but what's neat is there's 13 million Jews on the world, in the world right now. I, I thought it was a lot more than that. I'm sorry, there's 15 million. 15 million, I would have thought it's a whole lot more than that, but it's really not. And we're told about 2 million of those are Messianic Jews. They, they believe in Christ, and that's a big deal. It's hard to be a Jew and say, I believe in Christ. They get persecuted in their own way for doing that. So if they say they're saved, you've got to believe they are. So to, you add those Messianic Jews with about one point whatever um, billion Gentiles around the world, and the rapture church is going to be about one and a half billion, give or take, but close to that, which leaves about 6.5 left behind. Okay. Just to set this up, because um, we could, I just need to hit the highlights today. There's no way I can cover everything properly, but we're going to take a fast tour and hit the highlights because there's so much. But we read about the seven years of tribulation. It starts in, in Daniel, back in the Old Testament. Tim LaHaye, who wrote 
12 to 16 left behind books, however you want to count it, because he added some there after it was over. But he wrote, in his prophecy of the 70 weeks or the 490 years, Daniel chapter 9 said the tribulation would be one week, and, and there's a quote around week, and he used the Hebrew word designating a week of years or seven years. So when he was talking about a week, he was talking about seven years. In the book of Revelation, we find these seven years divided into two periods, each 1,260 days or 42 months or three and a half years each. Now, most of these years have already happened. We're waiting for this seventh week, which was the book of Revelation. It's all about that. So look, we're just going to read. Um, this is to set this up. The old disciple John, in his late 90s, and he was, it, the year was about the same as his age. He was born about the year zero. So in the late 90s, 98, 99, he was arrested for his faith. He was living in Turkey, in Ephesus. He was put on an island where there's a prison camp. The old man was out there working on this island as, as a prisoner. And Christ came to him and gave him a vision and said, write this down. It's the book of Revelation. So John was trying to write to us an unschooled, untrained fisherman, full of wisdom, full of wisdom, was trying to tell us what he was seeing. And we know last week we talked about Revelation 4, verse 1, the door opened in heaven. First, that's very unusual wording. And the rapture happened then. The, the church has been in heaven from chapter 4 all the way to chapter 19. So looking here at, at Revelation 5, church is already in heaven. And John says, I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one, God the Father, who was sitting on the throne. There was writing on the inside and the outside of the scroll. And it was sealed with seven seals. I saw a strong angel who shouted out with a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals of this scroll and open it? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and to read it. Then I began, I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. But one of the 24 elders said to me, stop weeping. Now, this is in heaven at the throne room. Stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and the seven seals. And I, I looked and I saw a lamb, Jesus Christ. I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered. But it was now standing between the throne and the four living beings. And the four living beings are these angelic guardians of the throne room. And among the 24 elders, he had seven horns and seven eyes, which represent the sevenfold spirit of God that is sent out to every part of the earth. He stepped forward, the lamb stepped forward and took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. And when he took the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. We're going to jump over to, to chapter 6, verse 1. As I watched, the lamb broke the first of the seven seals of the scroll. Look, what happened here? John's given a view of what's going to happen. Christ himself opens these first seven, these first seven um, seals. Now it's, I put this picture up so you get a, a picture of it, a mental picture. It's a scroll, and you roll it out, and it had information on it. And it was rolled up, and it was sealed like a wax seal you'd, you'd shut a letter with. There were seven of these seals, and Jesus 
peeled off each one. And as he did, horrible things happened on earth. The first four seals are going to be the four horses of the apocalypse. It's very interesting to a lot of people, but it's, it's horrible information. So as Jesus peels off the fourth, first seal, John says, this is Revelation 6-2, Behold, a white horse. He, he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. All right, so the white horse signals the coming of the world peace by a conquering peacemaker. The scripture tells us that's going to be the Antichrist. He's going to rise during this time. He's going to have a henchman with him, a right-hand man. The scripture calls him the false prophet. The scripture calls the Antichrist the beast more often than not. So these two men are going to rule the world. Ecumenical barriers will fall. Of course they will. The real church is gone. The Holy Spirit is gone. Religions become tolerant. I'm going to jump over to, uh, to Matthew a few times today because right before the cross, Jesus gave a, a, a talk. We call it the, the Olivet Discourse. It was a, a, a sermon he gave right before the cross, and he talked about the last days. It's in chapter 24 of Matthew. So a few things he said just perfectly match. Just want to bring some of those in. He told the disciples in those days, he said, watch out, for, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And listen, at the halfway point, at the three-and-a-half-year mark, the Antichrist himself walks into the temple in Jerusalem and sits on the throne and says, I am God. John MacArthur says, there's a trap the world is being enticed into. International peace. It's going to sound good in these bad times. A peacemaker is going to sound good. The world's going to rally around the peacemaker. One world, a new world order. I love J. Vernon McGee, one of my favorite Bible teachers. He says, the Antichrist does not appear as a villain. After all, Satan's angels can be angels of light. But when the Antichrist comes to power, he's going to talk peace. The great tribulation comes in like a lamb, but it's going to go out like a lion. All right, these are actual pictures of what the Antichrist looks like. So get this in your mind. No, I'm kidding. But there's going to be the Antichrist, also called the beast. It's going to be his false prophet. Look behind them. It's the power behind the thrones. It's Satan himself. It's an unholy trinity if there's ever been one. It's going to be one world rule, one world religion, one world commerce. He's going to make you take the mark of the beast in the right hand or the forehead to buy or sell. You have to have this mark. He's going to sign a seven-year peace treaty with Israel. It looks great at first. Jesus pulls the second seal off. Revelation 6, 4, another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth and that people should kill one another. And there was given him a great sword. So the red horse, God's allowing worldwide war. Daniel 28, hundreds of years before Christ even was talking to us about all this, Daniel 8.24 says the Antichrist will bring these wars. Jesus said in Matthew 24 to the disciples, verses 6 and 7, You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Such things must happen. But the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Dr. Lehman Strauss, I loved him. He was a great Bible teacher. He said, The rider of the red horse has a sword. 
He proceeds to take peace from the earth and to kill. Keep in mind, we talked about this last week. We talked about this last week. Keep in mind that the restrainer, the Holy Spirit, is at that time taken from the earth. Now, the Spirit is omnipresent like God. I mean, he's, he's fully God. But his ministry we, we have come to know. He's in the believer. He's, he's restraining evil. All that's gone. All that's going to be gone. He's, he's pulled out when we're pulled out. Seal number three. Revelation 6, 5, and 6. I looked up and saw a black horse, and its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hands. And I heard a voice from among the four living beings say, a, lo a loaf of wheat bread or three loaves of barley will cost a day's pay. And don't waste the olive oil and the wine. What in the world was he talking about? He was talking about famine. He was talking about rationing. Just so you'll know, a loaf of bread sustains one person for one day. Barley is the worst grain. It's animal food grain. A day's wage is a denarius. Basically, that's saying a, a person will work for enough food for themselves as every man for himself. And when he said, don't take the oil and wine and waste it, he, he's saying, be careful, don't waste it. It's a precious commodity. It's been rationed to you with scales. And listen, some of us remember the 70s, early 70s, when we had to go park our car in a line to get gas, the hoping the next morning they'd have gas, we could get gas. Our parents and grandparents lived through the Great Depression where everything was rationed. There was famine galore. So we know a taste of this, but it's going to be much worse. Jesus said in 24-7 to the disciples, there will be famines. So look, the black horse represents mourning, sadness, famines, fear, rationing, and Great Depression-type times. But then Jesus pulled off the next seal, Revelation 6, 7, and 8. I looked up and saw a horse whose color was pale green. Its rider was named Death, and its companion was the grave. And these two were given authority over one-fourth of the earth to kill with sword and famine and disease and wild animals. That's hard for us to take in. It's like a science fiction movie. But God's word says it. Jesus pulled the seal off. These things happened. John saw this going on. So the pale green horse represents death, followed by the grave. All right, so I said there's like 8 billion people on earth. 1.5 billion left in the rapture. Leaving about 6.5. Almost 2 million are going to get killed right here. 1.7 is just rounding it off, but it's a little under 5 billion left on earth, period. J. Vernon McGee said, the sword, famine, pestilence, and wild beasts will decimate the earth's population by one-fourth. I love what MacArthur said about this, because I'm thinking Jurassic Park, I'm thinking bears. But he, sa he says, pestilence, wild beasts, plague, the most deadly animal or creature on the earth is the rat. The rat. Rats are wild. They ruin food. They carry bubonic plague. They carry 35 diseases, and they're always with men. It's going to be bad. The stuff you are rationed is going to be poisonous because of rats. I mean, that, this is very, very possible. All right, then John hears a voice. He's been looking down at the earth. Seal one, seal two, seal three, seal four. Jesus cracks seal five open, and he hears voices over here in heaven. He turns and looks, and there's the, the altar of God, and there's people under it. These are martyred saints from the tribulation. This is, we're probably at the, almost at the one-half mark here. 
There are people who have gotten saved since their loved ones were raptured. I can imagine a lot of preachers are going to get saved if they live through it. We're not guaranteed anything. We know we're not even guaranteed our next breath. A fourth of the, I mean, a lot of the population is already dead at this time. But some of them did believe, and they got killed immediately. And now they're in heaven. They're under the altar. And this is what, this is what John is seeing. He sees, he, sees, he sees these people, and he hears them say, How long, O Lord, until our blood is avenged? And they're told to be patient. They're given a white robe. I think of Deuteronomy 32, 35, where God said, vengeance is mine. I will take care of it. But regardless, their prayers move God. And listen, I don't have time today to get in the 144,000, but that's in here too. But that's not the Jehovah's Witnesses. Sorry. It's 144,000 Jewish young men, young virgin men, it says. And they go out at this time, and they preach to the world. If the world can hear it, we don't know. Our internet goes down for anything. It rains right, our internet goes down. So somehow they're going to get the word out. People are going to get saved if they're not killed first. Seal 6. Jesus opened seal 6. I just got to read it to you. Revelation 6, 12 through 17. The sun became as dark as a black cloth. The moon became red as blood. Then the stars of the sky fell to the earth like green figs falling from a tree shaken by a strong wind. These are hurricanes, tornadoes, whatever it is he's seeing. The sky rolled up like a scroll and all the mountains and islands were moved from their places. We're, this is tsunamis. This is earthquakes. This is, this is weather. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 7 to the disciples, earthquakes in various places. He said in Luke 21, 25, and 26, strange signs are going to be in the sun, the moon, the stars. On earth, there'll be turmoil, roaring seas, strange tides, because the stability of heaven is broken up. We don't want to be here. This is just the first three and a half years. Now we're moving towards the middle. Jesus opens up seal seven. Revelation 8, 1 and 2 tells us there's a half hour of silence in heaven. John MacArthur says that half hour of silence is the calm before the storm. It's the silence of foreboding expectation of awe of what God is about to do. And poor John, he sees seven angel trumpeteers come walking up with seven trumpets. And every time they, they blast one, something horrible is going to happen on earth. First trumpet, Revelation 8, 5, 6, and 7, where we read that hail and fire mixed with blood pours down on the earth. A third of the earth, we're told, is burned up. A third of the trees, a, th a, th a third of the grass is burned up. There's going to be a lot of death right there. California doesn't have a clue. That's bad. The whole West Coast is bad. This is going to be much worse. So, but we know it can happen. We see it. We already see it. Lehman Strauss said, take the language as you find it. There is nothing in this to indicate symbolism. This book is literal. When, there, when it is symbolism, we clearly see it. You take it literal, and literal unless you know. He's using this as an example. Second trumpet sounds. A meteor hits the ocean. Revelation um, 8, 8, and 9. Look, could that be nuclear weapons? It could be. 
I, I love Dr. Ed Heinsohn up at Liberty. He always said, listen, it could be a meteor. It could be nuclear weapons. It doesn't matter. John was seeing it, and he didn't even know what he was seeing. He was just trying to tell us the best he could what he was seeing. But something hit our oceans, our salt water, and we're told one-third of the seas turn to blood. One-third of the sea creatures die. One-third of the ships are destroyed. Third trumpet. Again, it could be nuclear. It could actually be a meteor or a, or a planet of some sort. Revelation 8, 10, and 11. A great star named Wormwood will strike the earth. This time it's hitting the fresh water. One-third of rivers and springs of water may, will turn bitter. Many are going to die. That's a lot of judgment. That's a lot of judgment already happened on this earth. Fourth trumpet. And look, this, we, I think this is just one day. But still, it's, it's incredible what they have to go through. Revelation 8, 12, one-third of the sun was struck, and one-third of the moon, and one-third of the stars, and they became dark, and one-third of the day was dark, and one-third of, of it was night. In other words, they only had light for a few hours. So I don't know if that's the clouds of smoke blocking out. I don't know what this is exactly. But it's a bad time, and people are scared. People are scared. Fifth trumpet sounds. Revelation 9, 1 through 11, I saw a star. Now, in this case, this star means a heavenly body. It doesn't have to be a star because in this case, we see it's an angel. I saw a star that had fallen to the earth from the sky, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. When he opened it, smoke poured out as though it was from a huge furnace, and sunlight and air turned dark from the smoke. Then these locusts came from the smoke, and they descended on the earth, and they were given power to sting like scorpions. Now, the beauty of this is, is as you read into this, you, see, you realize those few believers who are on the earth who've gotten saved, they're not getting stung. It's the bulk of the people. It's the unbelievers are getting stung. And we're told later in chapter 9, these little locusts look like little horses ready for battle. They've got some kind of gold crown on their head. They have faces that look like humans. They've got longer hair. They've got sharp teeth. He called them like lion's teeth. They sting like scorpions. They torment for five months. Many people are going to die from this. Then this is the worst, I think. The sixth trumpet sounds. Revelation 9, 13, and 14. We're told that four demons with two million troops are released upon the earth. And they kill one-third of the people that are left. Look, Satan hates everybody. He kills his own. He's a liar, a cheater. He's, he's a killer. He, he'll kill anybody because they're going to hell anyway. Leaves, leaves about three billion, I think a little less than that. Then John hears the seventh trumpet. Revelation 11, 15 through 19. He sees praise and worship in heaven, but on earth he's looking down and he's seeing more lightning and more rumblings and more thunder, more earthquakes and a great hailstorm. And then poor John, he sees seven angels walking up holding bowls. More judgments coming. And he hears a voice from the throne itself. Revelation 16.1 says, Go, pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. So we are now deep into the, to the seven years. The first bowl is Revelation 16.2. John MacArthur says, listen, the wrath of God, it was displayed earlier in Revelation in the seal judgments and the trumpet judgments, but now it reaches a devastating climax with the bowl judgments. 
what we hear is the first angel poured out his bowl on the earth and horrible malignant sores, boils, broke out on everyone who had the mark of the beast and worshipped his statue. The people living on earth are going to just love the Antichrist. They're going to follow him blindly. They're going to take the mark to buy and sell. They're going to take it. They're going to do They're blinded. It's very hard to lead them back to the Lord now, and we're going to see that as, as we go along here. Second bowl's poured out, Revelation 16.3. The second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it turned into blood like that of a dead man, and every living thing in the sea died. Then the third bowl's poured out. Revelation 16, 4, 5, 6, and 7. The third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers, the, the freshwater, rivers and springs, and they became blood. I heard the angel who had authority over all water. Think about that. There's an angel who's in charge of all water on the earth. And this angel said, you are just, O Holy One, who is and who always was, because you have sent these judgments since they shed the blood of your holy people. And your prophets, you have given them blood to drink. It is their just reward. And then John hears off to the side, I heard a voice from the altar saying, Yes, O Lord God Almighty, your judgments are true and just. That's way back to seal number five. Those martyrs under the altar, they see some, some vengeance. Then the fourth bowl is poured out, Revelation 8, uh, 16, 8 and 9. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, causing it to scorch everyone with its fire. Everyone was burned by this blast of heat, and they cursed the name of God who had control over all these plagues, but they refused to repent, and we're told further, they refused to repent and turn to God Almighty. I think we're down to a billion people now, maybe, maybe a billion. Fifth bowl, Revelation 6 10 and 11. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast. Ah, this is the capital city wherever the Antichrist is. Now, we're told in Revelation over and over it says Babylon. And in Iraq, that's where the city really was. And in the past few decades, they've tried to rebuild Babylon. And they may. And so it may be Babylon rebuilt. It could be Rome with him calling it Babylon, the Antichrist calling it. It could be a different city. But whatever city the Antichrist is calling his capital, wherever he's working out of, he gets hit. His kingdom was plunged into darkness. His subjects ground their teeth in anguish, and they curse God, the God of heaven, for their pains and their sores. They still remember bowl number one. They still got the sores on them. But they did not repent of their evil deeds and turn to God. The sixth bowl is poured out. Revelation 16, 12 through 15. The sixth bowl dries up. The great Euphrates River, which runs all through the Holy Lands, from where Adam and Eve first were, I mean, it's 1,800 miles. It dries up. But you know what? It gives the kings of the east a place to gather for the Battle of Armageddon. It gives them a highway, basically. And look, the kings of the east, I've, I've read this many times over many years. It, today, it looks like you're talking about Islamic nations that hate Israel. They can gather right there real, real fast, but who knows? But it's the kings of the east. Seventh bowl, Revelation 16, 17 through 21. John hears lightning and thunder and earthquakes and even cities split open. And we're even told the capital city of the Antichrist splits in three parts. 
And John hears a voice from the throne room saying, it's done. It's done. My judgments are poured out. Seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls. It's done. World's population, again, it's somewhere around a billion, I think, less. Real quick, in, in, in Revelation 17 and 18. In 18, we're told that, the, that God destroyed the Antichrist's commerce and his finances, all his businesses. In 17, we're told, I'll just read it to you. It's 17, 1 and 2. One of the seven angels who had poured out the seven bowls came over to me and said, Come with me, and I will show you the judgments that's going to come upon the great prostitute who rules over many waters. The kings of this world have committed adultery with her, and the people who belong to this world have, made, have been made drunk by her wine of her immorality. In other words, this is false religion. People want to believe in something. There's a zillion religions out there. I like what old Dr. Wilmington used to say up at Liberty. You see these coexist stickers on the back of cars? Listen, they're cute and all, but they all are against the last, the cross. Not a one of them wants the cross to survive. They have their own things. They can say coexist as long as, as, long as Christians are, 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 are shut down. We haven't seen, well, anyway, you know what I'm saying. Dr. Wilmington said, this brutal, bloody, and blasphemous harlot is none other than the universal false church, the wicked wife of Satan, and they're destroyed. But now John turns. It's Revelation 19. Verse 1 through 10, there's a wedding in heaven. The bride has been preparing. That's us, those who were raptured. We've been in heaven for quite a while. We're preparing for the wedding. Christ takes his bride. Meanwhile, down on earth, whatever's left, I've just got 987 because I'm still counting the 13 million Jews. That I, A lot of them will still be living. 13 million Jews are going to be there in Israel. They're close to Jerusalem. And here comes the enemy with all their, war, all their armies and all their, their weapons of mass destruction. Here they come. They're going to, Antichrist is going to wipe out Israel. That's the enemy. I'm going to wipe out the Jewish people for sure. This is the second coming of Christ. This is where we go into it right here. Revelation 19, 11 through 16 tells us when the wedding is over, he saddles up and he comes down here. He leaves heaven with his armies and he comes right in the middle of the battle. So I'm going to read to you Revelation 19 through 20, verse 3. Then I saw heaven open. Ah, this is the first time heaven's been opened since Revelation 4, 1. John saw the church come up. And now in Revelation 1911, he's seeing Christ and the church dressed in white on horses going down. And a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood. And his title was the Word of God. The Word of God. We should understand how precious this book is. The armies of heaven, dressed in the purest white linen, followed him on white horses. That is the church. 
From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God the Almighty like juice flowing from a wine press. On his robe, on his thigh was written this title, King of all kings, Lord of all lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun shouting to the vultures flying in the sky. And the angel said, come, gather together for the great banquet God has prepared. Come and eat the flesh of kings and generals and strong warriors, of horses and their riders, and of all humanity, both free and slave and small and great. Then I saw the Antichrist, the beast, and the kings of the world and their armies gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army. But the Antichrist was captured. He's no match for Christ. The beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who did many miracles on behalf of the beast, miracles that deceived all who had accepted the mark of the beast and worshipped his statue. Both the beast and the false prophet were thrown alive into hell itself, the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Their entire army was killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one riding the white horse, and the vultures all gorged themselves on the dead bodies. Now listen, right there, I just want to tell you, there are churches out there today that say there's no hell, that, everything, that you get annihilated. You don't get annihilated. I wish we did, maybe, as a human. It'd be nice to be annihilated, but no, no. Oh, you're dead, just like our saints die, but your soul goes straight to hell, straight to the lake of fire, these people. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven with the key to the bottomless pit and a heavy chain in his hand. Was this Michael? I'm not sure. But this, this angel seized the dragon, that old serpent who is the devil, Satan, and bound him in chains for a thousand years. The angel threw him into the bottomless pit and then he shut and locked it. All right. We could keep going, we're just out of time. But what I want you to see is the second coming of Christ is not the rapture. The second coming of Christ brings wrath and judgment and war and blood to the earth. I had this chart up last week. Let's look at this one more time. I just want to look at this one more time. At the rapture, we looked at all the verses. We looked at the seven reasons why we believe it here. And again, it's not a heaven and hell issue. But I think the, the Bible is very clear on this. At the rapture, Christ comes in the air. He comes in the clouds and he calls his bride home. But he comes in the air. At the second coming of Christ, he comes to earth with a sword and an army. In the rapture, he comes for his saints. The second coming, he comes with his saints. Paul told us the rapture is a mystery, a secret. I'm going to show you. Not everybody can see it. But it's, it's easy to see once you see it. Whereas second coming of Christ is not a mystery. It is well predicted. The Old Testament's got a lot of verses about the dreaded day of the Lord coming. A lot of things. Christ talked openly about these things. Peter in Second Peter tells us the earth's going to melt. I mean, it's, it's well predicted. The rapture. Christ told us, he gave us three or four different parables saying, be looking for me, be looking, be looking, be looking, be ready, be ready, be ready. No, you don't know when I'm coming. 
second coming of Christ, there's many signs. Once, the, once, once it starts, people on earth are going to know it. There's going to be Bible students that never gave their life to Christ that are going to know these things. I just pray they live long enough to, to ask for salvation. Paul told us, he, I love this verse, uh, it's Titus 2.13. He said, the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The glorious appearing, that is, that's a time of blessing, the rapture, versus second coming of Christ, it's Armageddon. Again, it's a time of war, judgment, bloodshed. Sixth, we're told the rapture happens in a moment, a blink of an eye, we're told. Whereas the second coming of Christ, it's, it's extended. Somehow, it's going to take a minute, <laughs> and the world's going to know it. And then the rapture involves the church, only the church. Remember I told you last week, the angels, as, as the disciples and the believers were on that mount, they were watching Jesus float away. The angel said, he's coming back the same way. He's coming back to get you the same way. Look for him in the clouds. That's a, it involves the church. Whereas the second coming of Christ, the church is with them. This involves Israel and those who are left behind, however many it is. So there's a big, big difference. I just want you all to know that. That's what we believe here. It's not, a, like I said, it's not a heaven and hell issue. It's not a salvation issue. But we need to be looking we need to be looking for Christ. We need to be ready. We need to be like the ten virgins in the, in the parable he gave. Five were ready and looking. Five weren't. We don't want to be like that. We want to be looking. So listen, we're done. But I just want to, I don't know everybody's heart in this room. I just want to tell you one more time. If you don't know where you stand before God, you need to make it right today. If you don't know where you stand, look, I know a lot of people know church, go to church, know a lot of stuff about church, but it's not, church is not even about that. Church is about the cross, what he did for us. That's what it's about. Christ told us, Paul told us several times in Romans that we're sinful. Our first sin separated us from heaven. All of sin, all of come short of the glory of God. Christ tells us to repent. He uses that word 20 times. And that what that's saying is you go to Christ and you tell him, I'm sorry, I have regret for my sins. I have not lived for you, but I'm turning. Ah, that's the big word. Repent means to turn and change and go a different way the rest of your life. You tell him, I'm sorry, forgive me my sins. I want to follow you. I want to be ready. I want to always be ready. These things are scary things we talked about today. But the believer doesn't have to worry about that. We are covered we are covered. You've got to understand what Jesus did for us on the cross. He, he came and became our ultimate sacrifice. Up until then, when you read the Bible, a 6,000-year history book, when you read the Bible, you see that families had to bring livestock and get them slaughtered, and the blood would temporarily cover their family's sins. They were doing that right up to the time of Jesus. The night he was, he was slaughtered on the cross, there were thousands upon thousands of, of lambs killed that very, that very two- or three-day span. Just know that. To the Lord, I'm sorry. I ask forgiveness. I want to come to you. I want to turn my life. I am turning my life. You're my Savior. Save me. And he will. It's that simple. It's a hard life to live because the world hates us. They hate us. But that's okay. 
We're on the winning side. I want you to pray that prayer. I'm going to go ahead and close this in prayer. Don't leave today without letting us know. Let Will or myself know if you've made that step. Our dear Heavenly Father, again, we just come before you with praise and with thanksgiving. Father, again, sacred is your name. Thank you for this history book. Thank you for the future. Thank you for telling us. Father, we see these things happening all the time. I, I can't imagine the pilgrims coming over with the same Bible going, what's a mark? What's a right hand and forehand? That's ridiculous. We know good and well in 2020, people are doing it today and loving it. It'll be mandatory soon. I don't know what year. I don't know how quick. And if your word is true, we believe it is, we'll be pulled out of here. Father, I just pray that this sermon will be a blessing to people. It's scary. It's not fun. But it's the truth. I pray that some will make that decision today to turn and become a believer for the rest of their lives. Father, again, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time we can have. Thank you for your son who came and died for us. We pray all these things now in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. I want you to go out these doors. I want you to be Christ to people this week. Let people see Christ in you. We love you. We all love you. I love you. You are dismissed. God bless you.